verse that says, when Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So, pray, so Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father. So uh, what that means is corporate, right? Together, public. Jesus is, is uh, giving his disciples a, an example of a public prayer, a corporate prayer. So today we are going to be looking at corporate prayer or to use a less churchy term, a less like theological term. Uh, it's just basically praying together with others. That's what corporate prayer is, praying together with others or communal prayer. Like as a community, we come together, we pray together. Now, some of you may say, now, wait a second. We just heard last week when Brad was preaching that Jesus said, when you pray to not do like what the Pharisees do, right? Where they go and they go into public and they pray. And instead, Jesus says, when you pray, Go into your home, go into a private place, go into your closet and pray there. So why all of a sudden are we talking about communal prayer? Didn't Jesus say to not pray in public? Jesus did say that, uh, but Jesus was actually attacking the posture of prayer, the perf- the, this idea of performative prayer. That's what Jesus was against. He wasn't necessarily against public prayer, Jesus was against the idea of using prayer as a performative tool to try to uh, get glory for yourself. So Jesus did endorse public prayer. He's, he's uh, praying himself. Notice again what he says here, our Father in heaven. It's plural. It's a public communal prayer. Uh, Jesus also prayed publicly when he broke the bread and the, and the fish and fed and multiplied it and fed the 5,000. It's recorded that Jesus blessed that meal, that he prayed out loud for that meal. We also know that Jesus prayed when he was in the upper room with his disciples. Uh, when he instituted communion or the Lord's Supper, Jesus prayed and blessed that. We know that Jesus invited his disciples to pray with him in the garden. So Jesus. Uh, himself prayed publicly and prayed with others. Moreover, we see uh, early New Testament Christians also praying together. In Acts 2, verse 42, uh, it talks about how all of these Christians would get together in each other's homes. They would study the Bible. They would talk about the sermons that they were hearing from the apostles, and they would eat together and that they would pray together. It mentions it multiple times in Acts 2 that they would get together and they would pray Uh, In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in prison together and they're singing songs out loud and they're praying out loud together. In Acts 12, it says that uh, at the house of one of the disciples' mother, that a bunch of, it says many Christians were gathered together and they were praying together. Uh, James 5, 14 through 16, instruction is given to the church that if anyone falls sick or ill, to gather the elders, to gather the church together, to come together and to pray for that individual. So public prayer, communal prayer, corporate prayer is all over the New Testament. It's all over. They they did it again and again and again. One of the, the things that we see modeled in the New Testament is that Christians get together and they do, they do things. Right? Christians, they get together, they sing and they pray. That's one of the things that Christians do when we gather.
But why? Who cares? Why should we pray together? I mean, if we can pray by ourselves, if we can commune with God by ourselves, why do we need to pray alongside of other believers? Why is it important for me to hear you pray? And why is it important for you to hear others in the church pray? Why is that important? So today we're going to look at three reasons, three reasons why the church needs communal prayer. Three reasons why the church needs communal prayer. Uh, So first, communal prayer encourages, edifies, builds up the church. Communal prayer builds us up. You know, when I pray for you, there's a kind of edification that takes place, a building up. And when you pray for me, there's a building up that takes place. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, you might want to check my references today. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And then later in verse 16, he's talking about how they're doing that and how they should continue to do that. He says, Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. And then in that same chapter in verse 25, Paul, the author, writes to them and says, brothers and sisters, or to the church, he's writing to this church, he's saying, he says, brothers and sisters, pray for us. It's an invitation from Paul to say, hey, I hope and I desire that the church corporately prays for each other and builds each other up in that way, but also I hope that you pray for me. So communal prayer encourages and builds up other Christians. And here's here's how that works. In communal prayer, when I feel abandoned and don't have the energy to maybe even pray for myself or see clearly for myself, I've been reminded by someone else praying when I feel abandoned that God will never forsake me, right? In communal prayer, when I have felt unloved or unlovable, I have been reminded by someone else praying that nothing can separate me from the love of God. In my weakness and frailty, maybe when I feel like rubbish, I have been reminded by someone else praying that Jesus sympathizes with us in our weakness. And in prayer, I have reminded others that the thoughts and plans that God has for them is one of hope and peace, and maybe by his grace, physical healing. So it's important for us to hear each other pray for each other. Not in a performative sense, right? This is not performative, uh, as Brad talked about last week, not performative. It's not to impress others, it's to encourage others. Uh, It's not to uh, impress God, it's to go to God on behalf of others. So this idea here is that in prayer, prayer isn't just for God. There's an element in which uh, prayer fulfills the two greatest commandments, which are to love God and to love others. And prayer, when properly done with this posture of not being performative, it does exactly that. It's an expression of love and community and communion with God, and it's the same thing towards each other. And I mean, let's be real, Um, 
when we think of prayer in that sense of not being performative, do any of us, are any of us actually ever edified when you listen to like that performative style prayer? Have you ever, I mean, I grew up in the church. Maybe, maybe some of you are like, I've never really experienced anybody trying to perform through prayer. Uh, but it's, 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 it's weird. It's a little icky. Like I've, I've been there where I've heard the, you know, these pompous preachers that have this big flowery language and all these theological words that I don't understand. And they're praying and I don't walk away feeling edified in that. But rather when prayer is not performative, but when it's, when it's real, when it's honest, when it's vulnerable, that's, and, and somebody's praying for me in that kind of way or praying with me in that kind of way, I'm built up, I'm edified. Those are the kinds of communal prayers that encourage. And so as the community life pastor here at the Oaks, um, I, hope my, I hope that every group in our church takes time to pray for each other. Maybe not every week, but I hope that you and your groups and those of you here at church are taking time to gather together with other believers and to pray for each other, to bear one another's burdens. People need to hear other Christians praying with them and for them. We're not meant to pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps. We need to lean on each other and pray for each other. And communal prayer builds us up and encourages us. So communal prayer does that, but communal prayer also disciples us or teaches us. Communal prayer disciples us or teaches us. Again, when Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus is using communal prayer to teach and disciple his followers. As Jesus is praying, they're learning and being discipled by him as they're listening to him. And it's not just that Jesus is giving them the right format. There's, there, part of that is true, right? Jesus is giving them a kind of template or a, a kind of format to follow. That is true. But what Jesus is actually doing on a deeper level than that is he's giving them a kind of posture, right? Prayer isn't like, uh, it's not like a spell or an incantation where you, if you, you got to get the template, you got to get the wording right, otherwise it doesn't take or it doesn't work, okay? That's not what prayer is. What Jesus is doing is he's not giving them like, here's the right way, the right template, to, the right words to use. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's saying, here's the right posture. Here is the, the way that you should approach God. And listen, theology and doctrine and right thinking about God have their place. That's, these are it's important, but prayer is much, much more than just that. Prayer is communion with God. It's relationship with God. So it's not just about right thinking about God. It's about having the right posture before God, right? And, and we know this to be, like we intuit this uh, naturally in all of our human relationships, right? It's not, it's not just enough for me to have all the right facts about my wife or my friends, right? Well, I've used this example before. It's not just enough to know the right things about them. There's also a kind of posture that I must take with them, with my wife, with my kids, with all my friends, if I'm to have a meaningful relationship with them. 
So more than just teaching the disciples right thinking about God, Jesus is discipling their hearts and attitudes towards God. He starts off by saying, our what? Father. Father. Um, God is a loving father. When Jesus is using that language, he's He's not saying, hey, you need to say our father. What he's saying is you need to go to God as though he is your father. You take the posture as though you're the child and he is the father, right? And, and there's all kinds of implications in that. I mean, um, with my kids, uh, they come boldly into my presence uh, and interrupt whatever's going on, right? And it's like, hey, dad. You know, it could, be, it could be a really important conversation. Oh, hey, dad, hey, I'm here, and here's what I need at this moment, right? They're coming boldly. And the scriptures talk about that. Like, the posture that we take is we go boldly to the throne of grace. Well, how can we go boldly to God, the creator of the universe? How is that possible? Well, because Jesus said that the posture that we take is one of a child going to their father. Right? And so we can go boldly to our Father, to God as our Father, go boldly uh, before the throne of grace to Him. So Jesus is teaching that kind of posture. He's discipling them in this. Uh, but He also says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Right? We could go all day, we could go through this, all of the wording that Jesus has here and talk about the, pro the proper posture that we take. Uh, that we can learn from, from this. Uh, but again, it's not just right thinking, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's like, yes, you're my father, but also dads are in control, right? The child doesn't go to the dad and say, here's what's going on, dad. Like, here's how it's gonna be. That eh, typically doesn't go well, right? But the child can come and say, hey, here's my request. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want or need. And here's what's going on. And then the dad can say, well, I know better than you. So no, that's not a good idea to do that. Please step away from the edge of that cliff. I know that's what you want, but no, that's, we're not going to do that today. Right? So the dad knows better. And, uh, and so that's, again, another kind of posture that Jesus is giving to his disciples. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Yes, God is a loving father, but also he's the one in which we submit He's the one in which we uh, worship him and we come to him with a kind of humility and submission as well. So prayer invites us into a discipleship posture, a teaching posture, a learning posture, a posture where it's not just about us communing with God, it is, but it's also about receiving uh, what God would have for us because we are his followers, we are his disciples. So communal prayer um, is, fashions us into being disciples and followers uh, as well. And then lastly, communal prayer builds unity. Communal prayer builds unity. John 17, 20 through 23, uh, we see that Jesus prays for his disciples and he also prays for us. Did you know that? Did you know that there's a prayer in the Bible where Jesus prays for us? I'll read it for you. This is Jesus praying for us. He says in John 17, my prayer is not, he's praying to God, my prayer is not for them, the, the disciples, the 12 disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me 
through their message, that's all of us, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And then in Acts 2, we see this unity begin to take place among the early church and the believers. We talked about this earlier. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, is what uh, Acts 2.42 says. Uh, in verse 44, all the believers were together and had things in, all things in common. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together. There's a unity. In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So communal prayer uh, unites believers around those two greatest commandments of loving God and loving others. We are participating in an act of communion with God. That is true, yes. But we're also praying with each other and for each other. And by the way, this is about unity and not uniformity. Do you understand the, the distinction between unity and uniformity? Right, so uh, like our world doesn't. Our world um, wants to prescribe a kind of uniformity. Uniformity is saying that you must become exactly like me or I must become exactly like you. We must all be uniform. We must all be the same. And I can't accept you. I can't, uh, I can't love you. I can't participate with you unless we are all the same, unless there's a kind of uniformity. Unity is saying you get to retain your individuality. There's a differentiation and I get to retain my individuality, but we still are able to come together because it's not our sameness that unites us, it's our love, right? That's what, that's what the Christian model is. It's not that we're all the same and therefore we're united. No, a lot of times we're very different. But the thing that unites us is our love for God and our love for each other. That's unity. And by the way, then, why do you think Jesus uh, says to pray for those that persecute you and to pray for your enemies. It's kind of like Jesus's covert way of getting you to love those who persecute you and love your enemies. Because it's kind of hard to go to God and to say, um, Lord, I'm gonna pray for those that persecute me. And I know that you have forgiven me of literally every bad thing that I've ever done. God, you've forgiven me for all of the despicable things. Uh, but I'm praying that you have uh, your wrath visit this other person, right? That's, that's kind of a hard prayer. Not like there's not a lot of logic in that. Rather, what typically happens is it's like, hey, Lord, I'm going to you on behalf of my enemy. They're persecuting me. I don't know what to do about this, but listen, you've forgiven me and I need to forgive them. Show me how to uh, return blessing when they curse me. Show me how to do that, Lord. And we begin to... Um, Pray for grace and mercy uh, for our enemies rather than our sense of entitled uh, justice. We pray for blessing instead of a curse. So prayer helps me and helps you see through God's eyes. And that, 
that unifies us, that helps us to love each other. Prayer helps us see from God's perspective. Let me illustrate it this way. As a kid, um, I grew up in Chile, South America, in Santiago. And the city of Santiago is a really big city. I mean, back when I was uh, living there, I think it was like 7 million people. And I think it's like 10 million people or something like that. Now it's huge, massive city. Um, and one of my friends in middle school, he lived in a high rise apartment. And one of the great things about a city, especially in Santiago, was that uh, you could take public transit anywhere. So even before you, you know, could drive, you could get on a bus or you could get on a subway and you could uh, go anywhere in the city. It was great. And so one of the things that I would do is, um, you know, on a Friday night, uh, I would hop on a bus or hop on, a, um, on public transit, and I would head to downtown to where he lived in this high-rise apartment. And we would hang out, and so there'd be a bunch of us that would maybe gather there and, you know, stay the night, staying up late, playing Nintendo, watching movies, right, And uh, as, as middle school boys do. And so uh, one night, it's kind of, it's starting to get a little bit late, it's dark out, and he lives up way up high in this high-rise apartment, and, but we're all down on the ground level. We're hanging out poolside by this pool. And we're just hanging out uh, on the ground level. And as we're just sitting there talking, all of a sudden, there appears in the sky, in what seemed pretty close to us, five lights in this circular pattern. Five lights just hovering outside of, and kind of over top of the, uh, the apartment complex. And so and it, there, it wasn't making any noise. It was just these five lights and they're kind of like hovering around and moving around. And it, they were large. And so we were like, oh my goodness, it's a UFO, it's aliens. Okay, so, so we go running inside and we go rushing up, you know, in the elevator and we go barging into uh, their apartment and we're excited, excitedly like telling his dad, hey, we just saw a UFO, we saw aliens, they're real, who knew? You know, and so he's, he's like, calm down, calm down. Come take a look from my perspective. And so he invites us over to the balcony where he's got this telescope set up and it's pointed right at this, these lights that are hovering. And so we look through and we see that it's not a UFO at all. <laughs> it was just a helicopter with some weird light system on it. And for whatever reason, we couldn't hear it. It was just the, the, the way the air was blowing that day, or I don't know what the scientific reason was, but we couldn't hear it, but it was a helicopter. We, we got to see that. And so what happened is that we were offered a new perspective. We were given a new vantage point that brought a kind of clarity and unity in us about what we were seeing. And in prayer, that's what's happening. God is offering us his perspective, his perspective. And that will always, by the way, then unite us in love. God's perspective will always unite us in love. If, if you're not being united in love in prayer, then, you're pro then God's probably not, you're not praying to God. I don't know who you're praying to, but God's perspective always unites us in love. And so today we want to practice that. We want to, as we're going through this prayer series, we want to take time each Sunday here in the month of July to practice what we preach, to take time uh, of silence and, and prayer. And so today we're going to practice this together. We're going to um, be praying together for each other in this room.